If you'd please pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we now look into your word to us, cause us to hear what your spirit would have us hear. Cause us to see Jesus. We give this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's hard to believe that I have actually been back as your pastor for seven months now. In many ways, it feels, <laughs> Terry's laughing about that. In many ways, it feels like I never left. In fact, I think I'm more excited about being here this time than I was the first time. And I'm also, I think, more eager to see what is in store for this church. It has also been seven months since we started this series in which we've been following and learning from the church in Ephesus. We started the series, and we're going to end the series today uh, with the text that I will soon read. It's a letter from the resurrected and glorified Jesus himself to the Ephesian church as recorded in the revelation given to John. So hear the word of the Lord from Revelation 2, 1 to 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the work that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet, yet you have this, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God." Well, one thing I definitely got wrong when I started this series is that I thought it was only going to be a matter of weeks. And seven months later, here we are. But we have really covered a ton of stuff from a look at the history of the Ephesian church to a reflection of who we are in Christ Jesus We've dwelt on the love of God demonstrated in Christ Jesus. We've reflected on God's grace. We've looked at, uh, we spent a fair amount of time on the identity of the church. We've, even more, we spent more time on our identity in Christ. We did the don't do's and do do's. I don't know if you remember that one. We addressed the issue of false teachers we talked about the absolute serious consequences of sin. We also talked about the amazing consequences of grace. And recently, we've been talking about the need to abide in Christ and how that is manifested in love and obeying 
his commandments. I need to tell you that I have learned a ton as we have gone through this series, and I hope it has been productive for you too. In today's message, we will be focusing on where the Ephesian church failed in the area of first love. But before I do that, I want to note that the church in Ephesus actually got a whole bunch of what I just mentioned, and they they got a whole bunch of it right. For instance, related to false teachers, which we've been looking at recently, uh, we have seen that that is a huge issue for the Apostle Paul in his interaction with the Ephesian church. It was a big issue for John, who also served there. And it was a big issue in the pastoral letters that Paul sent to Timothy, who was a pastor there. Identifying and addressing false teachers was a huge deal for this church, and it's a huge deal for us today. And the truth is, concerning this issue of false teachers, the Ephesian church seems to have nailed it. In fact, they received the praise of Jesus specifically for not tolerating false teachers and for opposing. Actually, the word is hating twice, actually hating the works of the heretical group called the Nicolaitans. The Ephesian church got the issue of false teachers right. I'm not sure that the American church, including most local churches, would receive such praise. A major problem is the shallow knowledge of the scriptures, which results in many being simply unable to differentiate the truth from the falsehood. This results in condoning or even supporting false teachers, often out of a desire not to offend anyone. That's not what the Ephesian church did. They knew the truth, they used discernment, and they addressed false teachers. And they were praised by Jesus for doing that. Another thing Jesus specifically praised the Ephesian church for was for their perseverance, for their enduring patience, for their bearing up for Christ's name's sake, for their not having grown weary. I'm also not convinced that the American church would receive a very high score in this area. Would we be able to persevere in the face of the challenges this church faced from persecution to economic exclusion to torture to death? The truth is that we too frequently cannot even face normal life challenges without whining, at least this is my case, whining or feeling sorry for myself. These brothers and sisters in Ephesus were marginalized by their society in a way that, in a way that we have yet to know. Uh, their society was at least as dark as ours. They were persecuted with an intensity that we have yet to face. And the temptations they faced were every bit as real as anything that we face, but they persevered. It would be a wonderful thing if we could just do as well as them in this area. So, So while we will be addressing what the church in Ephesus got wrong... The truth is that they got a number of the other things right. But now to the part where the Ephesian church failed. They they forgot their first love. And here's the point. That was so significant that in a way 
The rest didn't even seem to matter. Please listen as I read the verse uh, 2-4 from a number of versions, just so that we get the full feel of it. From the New International Version, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. The New Living Translation, Translation. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. The English Standard Version. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. The New King James Version. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. The Amplified Bible, which always goes much larger. But I have this charge against you, that you have left your first love. You have lost the depth of love that you had first had for me. The area they failed was remembering or holding on to their first love. So what is that first love? I can remember my first love. Maybe you guys can remember your first love. Mine was Susan Andrews. I was six. I thought she was cute, and I chased her around on the playground and pulled her hair to prove it. And yet she never loved me back, ever. And for six years, I expressed affection to her, to her all the way up to junior high school until my love for Susan, which was so deep, it even caused me to lose weight. And as a 12-year-old boy, that's a lot of love. <laughs> the point, that first love, if it can be called that, was all one-sided. And whatever it was, it was all about me and from me, and based on my desires. And then there was Ruthie. She was my first real love and deepest love that I've ever had. I loved this woman, and she loved me. She was lovely and perfect for me, and I remain one of the most blessed men of all time that I was able to be married to her, and to know her love, and for her to love me, and me to love her. But even that pales in comparison to what I'm talking about. The first love that Jesus is talking about in his rebuke of the Ephesian church is ultimately not something that originates from us, like in the case of most human relationships, such as in both of the examples that I just gave. Those first loves both originated from me and from my heart and my desires. The first love that Jesus is referencing originates from him. And in fact, fundamentally, our, our love is a response on our part. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. The first love Jesus is talking about is a response to his love for us. And this response is in two, it's really twofold. First, it is a response to what he has done for us. After these Christians in Ephesus had realized that because of Christ's love and sacrifice for them, that they were saved by God's grace from eternal judgment and punishment, something that they believed was before them, 
And, and now they have the hope and assurance of eternal salvation simply because Christ loved them and not because of anything they did or could have done. After that realization, where they were before that, they could not help but respond to Christ with love and adoration and appreciation. Their first love was born out of their knowledge of God's grace and what he had done. The second part of this first love is simply a response to who Christ is. It is simply adoration of who he is. When we really look at who Christ is and understand how truly good and wonderful and kind and amazing and awesome and powerful and lovely he really is, we can't help but love him. Have you ever heard one of those really nice stories or, or uh, know of a really good action by somebody or witnessed true kindness or simply seen something that's truly beautiful? And what do you say? You go, I love that. Now, that's just starting on the course of what I'm talking about. You love it because it's good, and you know it. The statement that I love that is really saying what I observed is lovable, is good. And even though it might not have anything to do with me, even though the thing that I'm saying I love might even be completely unaware of me, I love it simply because it's good. And we see the beauty of the moment or the thing or the act, and we can't help but admit it. On a much greater scale even than that, that is what happens when we really think about Christ and who he is. He is so wonderful, so good, so lovely, we simply can't help but love him if we know him in truth. Looking at the thing, looking at and thinking about him, if it is done in truth and you really see him, will result in nothing but affection and love for him simply because of who he is. The, the first love the Ephesians had forgotten was both of these. They had forgotten from what they had been saved. They'd forgotten what Jesus had done and, and what he did and what it meant to them and how it transformed them from being lost with no hope or purpose to being changed into children of God who are going to inherit glory and the kingdom itself. They'd forgotten that. And they had forgotten just how lovely and wonderful and glorious Christ really is. This is the first love we are challenged not to lose. One of the strange things about this responsive first love is that it also results in loving others. As I kind of mentioned, I've never loved anyone as much as I loved Ruthie. And yet, 
What did not happen, and and I'm being honest, is my love for her did not cause me to love my enemies. It just didn't. The first love for Christ does. When we really think about what he has done, we simply cannot do anything else but love him. And this love for him ends up in being expressed by love for others. Another thing about this first love, this responsive first love, is how absolutely one-sided it is. The truth is that Ruthie and I both got something out of our love for each other. But the kind of love Jesus is talking about is very different. I mean, what do, what do we bring to the table? What, what can I do for Christ to improve his life? How can I... How can I have any impact on the God of the universe or make him richer or fuller or experience life greater? What can I do that compares to what he is and has done for me? Some say that a true love relationship is 100% both ways, but when it comes to our love relationship with God, how can we in our relationship with God even be close to that? He, he's 100% in. We, we know that for sure. He gave up everything. He is faithful beyond measure. And all, all that he is, all that love mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13, he's patient, he's kind, he's not arrogant or rude, and does not insist on his own way. He's long-suffering. We, maybe not so much. When we think about it, we honestly have to admit that that something's kind of backwards in all this. All we have to offer him is ourselves. And, And that is not that much compared to what he brings to the table. And certainly not worthy of the affection that the God eternal has shown towards us. Our love for him can can never even be on the same spectrum as his love for us, even though he is the lovable one, and we will not always so much. And as we respond in love to Christ and his love, it changes us. As we have been discussing over the last few weeks, our love for Christ then manifests in our obeying his commandments and loving others. We've been talking about that. As we've discussed over the last few weeks, our love for Christ and our ability to obey his commandments is intimately tied to our continuing to abide in him and to draw our life from him. And here's the deal. The only way possible to lose this love, this first love, is to take our eyes off of Christ. If if you look directly at the sun in the sky, that big, big, bright yellow thing that we see once in a while here, and we'll see, but we've been seeing a lot of, and you keep looking at that sun, and at the same time try not to think of the sun, it's not going to work. Even if you close your eyes and try to think not to think of the sun, the fact is that the radiance of the sun in the sky will prevent you from thinking about anything else. But turn your head and think about a tree, 
or your problems or your car, and you will soon forget about the sun. The Son of God is brighter and more radiant and more lovely than any star. And if we keep looking at him, facing him, our eyes in his direction, we cannot forget him. Not possible. However, if we look away and get preoccupied with other things, we might. In fact, we probably will. Even if those things are good, such as identifying false teachers and standing up for the truth and persevering through hardship and persecution, eventually those things that the Ephesian church was doing, eventually those things can become the things of our focus. That's what happened to the Ephesian church. And Christ is saying, look back at me. If you recall, the solution, or what he told them, was repent. He didn't tell them to try harder. He didn't tell them to feel guilty or feel like a failure. Jesus told them to repent. And fundamentally, repent means stop doing what you're doing and turn around and do what you're supposed to do. And in this case... It is to look at Jesus again and to think about what he has done and who he is, our first love. When we do, our first love will be rekindled and it will be manifested in our obeying his commandments and loving each other. But we have to repent and look at him. The Ephesian church failed because they not, did not continue to abide in Christ, to, to focus on Christ, to walk in the light, to walk in the truth. We've talked about that. Sure, what they were doing was good. Identifying false teachers and persevering was good. Getting all that other stuff right was good. But forgetting or abandoning or neglecting their first love is what happens when you do not abide, dwell, Draw your life from Christ. Keep your focus on Jesus. Seven months ago, I led you, that's a long time ago, I led you through a few exercises. One was an exercise that demonstrated that what you think about has implications on how you feel. And I, I had you think about something gross and disgusting and asked if it made you hungry, if you wanted to eat anything. And then I, then I described something yummy and tasty and smelling great and asked if you felt like tasting anything. Well, it was obvious. Then, then, I did, then um, the point of that was that what you think about impacts how you feel and what you want to do. In the other exercise, I had you try to love. And I, I even asked you to squint your eyes and force yourself to love, perhaps somebody who'd wronged you. And of course, that didn't work either. Then I had you think about Christ's love for you and what he did, and it was different. The truth is, what we think about impacts us. If we are thinking about God's love for us demonstrated in Christ Jesus and who he is, that will change us. 
and we will know his love and we will love each other. Over the last seven months, we, as we looked at the Ephesian church, with the hope of, of learning from them, we have addressed a ton of stuff from the necessity to take the issue of false teachers seriously to, to just who we are in Christ Jesus. But in the end, the thing that really matters is that we do not lose our first love, Jesus, that we never forget what he has done, who he is. That is the, the point of, for example, the Lord's Supper, which we celebrated last week. We're thinking about him. We're remembering him. This is why we gather together and hear his word and share and, and, and pray together. And it causes us to refocus on him. So before I close, I, I want to simply read three passages as a reminder of God's love for us. And if we think about what these say and hold on to them, we will not lose our first love. I don't think it's possible if you're focused on Jesus. And we will experience all that the Lord has for us. The first, these are familiar verses to you, but, but think on these verses. This is, the first one is John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Romans 8, 28, uh, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 John 4, 9-11 In this, the love of God was made manifest for us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. My brothers and sisters, this is what we should never forget. If we remember who he is and what he did, we will, we will avoid the mistake of the, of the Ephesians. And we will see the kingdom of God grow in our lives and in the world. Let's pray. Father, there is nothing we can really say other than thank you. Thank you for the love that you have shown towards us. Thank you for perse persevering with us 
Thank you for being faithful and kind and forgiving. Thank you for giving us eyes to see who you are. Beautiful and glorious, God Almighty. Help us to keep our eyes on Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.